Philippians 4 verse 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. To which we may want to reply, always. Always? Have you seen the news? Romans 12, 15 says, rejoice with those who rejoice. What about when their joy makes my pain that much worse? Jesus said, blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. He's talking about himself. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. Surely God is asking the impossible of us here. Well, the command to rejoice runs throughout the Bible. I've just picked a couple of them here. And uh, rejoicing is our topic for today. It's what we're going to spend our time looking at. We're in a series where we look about how we react to the things that are happening in our lives. Now, of course, rejoicing isn't the only emotion we're meant to experience. When Paul says rejoice with those who rejoice, he follows that by saying mourn with those who mourn. We know that Jesus was full of joy and that he wept. And Paul's command to rejoice in the Lord always is as much in God's word as his admission that there were times when he despaired of life itself. But ultimately, the Christian must smile and sing because one day... A smile is going to come over our lips which will never cease and we will sing a song of praise that will never end. So if the command to rejoice seems ridiculous, I want to suggest that you're not looking in the right direction or more likely that you're not looking far ahead enough. Rejoicing can seem ridiculous if the only place we're looking, if our eyes are only fixed on today. They shouldn't be. If you're a Christian, they certainly shouldn't be. But today is really good at getting our attention. Because today has problems that need to be fixed. Today is very excitingly packaged in all the media we consume. Today is what we tend to just think about because we can see it. And we can maybe have an impact on it. We're in a culture that has blessed us uh, with knowledge and technology, which makes our lives generally longer and healthier. That's amazing. But that can really make us think about just our lives right now. We're also in a culture that's cursed with an ideology which says that this life is all there is. And so we are encouraged only to think of the here and now because the here and now, well, it is all there is. And sometimes Christians can be no different. We'll talk about God and we'll talk about Jesus and and all the wonderful things that God's word has to say. And we'll apply it to today. And when we think we're thinking really long term, we'll think, I wonder what I'll be doing in 10 years time. Whoa. That is still in today category. If you're just thinking about today, if you're just thinking about the here and now, this life, 
Being told to rejoice always will seem ridiculous and naive at best and insensitive at worst if the here and now is really horrid. But God wants to get our attention away from short-term thinking. He wants to cure us of this short-sightedness that we all seem to have. So when Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always, he does so in the context of reminding us, he says, the Lord is at hand, which means Jesus is near. And not just near in terms of present to us, as we've experienced this morning, but near as in nearly coming back. Therefore, Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. When Jesus tells us to rejoice, when he says, be glad when people revile and persecute you because of me, he doesn't just say, because you're weird. He doesn't just say, because you should. He gives you a reason. He says, for your reward is great in heaven. Peter lived with the same perspective. 1 Peter chapter 1, 3-6, he says, we have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. So the Christian isn't experiencing and witnessing awful things and saying, these are great. The Christian is seeing something past them. The Christian knows something more than them. And so Christians grieve and rejoice simultaneously, but with rejoicing being the prominent note now and literally the final word. This is what we need to be thinking about. This is where we need to be looking. And so this is what I'm going to talk about for the rest of our time together this morning. We're looking at rejoicing. I thought we could do some practical steps on here are some ways to help you rejoice more. But instead, I'm just going to tell you some of the stuff that's going to hopefully stir some joy in your heart. I hope it's going to give you the perspective you need to rejoice today, now. Because it's not all about today. And if you're not a Christian, I want you to know from the start of this that uh, this glorious future that I'm going to describe to you can be yours too if you put your trust in Jesus. Jesus wants you to do the maths today about what matters most, what counts most. Life as you know it or the life to come. He said in Matthew chapter 13, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Which isn't great business sense, but Jesus says that's the maths. Everything else is worth selling for this. I hope to persuade you of that this morning because it's this kingdom of heaven that we're going to spend our time considering Because the more we think about it, the more we will be joyful now. Why am I so confident about this eternal perspective, this heaven to come? And therefore, why do I think we should be so joyful? You say, well, you know, this life is what we see. It's what we experience. How How do we know there's something beyond it? Well, I know someone who's been there. And you can trust them. Not talking about those near death experience books. I don't need anything like that. 
I've heard from someone who has a, had a total death experience. Not near death, total death. And now lives with a no death existence. Jesus is the proof that this life is not all there is. He came from, out with it, and he has died and now has come back to life and has now returned to it. And he just breaks in on this world with our very closed system expectations. Says, No, it's not like that. I've come from somewhere else. I died. I've risen to new life, new eternal life. I've gone there. I'm coming back for you. He absolutely broadens our horizons and breaks out of this, this world only mindset that we get stuck in. Also, his resurrection body is the shape of things to come for those who trust him. So, let's think about this. Where are we going to be? What's it going to be like? What will we be like? What will matter most? Firstly, let's talk about the new heavens and the new earth. I don't know how you imagine heaven, but I'm going to guess when I say heaven, you think clouds. And there's some mentions in the Bible of clouds. That's fine. But you also probably think harps. And you possibly think of yourself as a disembodied spirit floating somehow from harp to harp as you go... uh, from from, Sorry, from cloud to cloud going along. There's a different harp with each cloud. And um, the expectation is, though, isn't it? Where are you going to go? Up there. Even as I've said heaven, already my body is straining because I want to point up there. And there's some reason for thinking this. But what the trouble with it is, is what we think is we go up there and leave all this behind. And that's not exactly what the Bible says. The Bible talks about heaven coming down to earth and new life springing up here. So when we just think about clouds, we think about going up, we've kind of got a bit of it, but we've got nowhere near all of it. And it just sounds a bit dreary. A cloud, okay. No, it's going to be phenomenal. Well, here's what's going to happen. A great city is going to come from heaven to earth. John has shown this in Revelation. And amongst its many astonishing qualities, this city's dimensions are that it is 12,000 stadia wide, 12,000 stadia deep, and 12,000 stadia high. And just in case your uh, ancient imperial measurements aren't up to scratch, that is about 1,400 miles each way, which is pretty big. It would cover most of Western Europe. But the point is, when we're given those dimensions in the Bible, is that they are the size of the Roman Empire at that time. The Roman Empire is about 1,400 meters that way, 1,400 miles that way, 1,400 miles that way. And so what John is saying is he says, when you see a city that size, it is the size of the world. This isn't a small outpost. This isn't a small outcrop anymore. This is everything. And it is made of the most glorious materials. There are giant pearl gates. There are golden streets. There are jewels of every color everywhere. It is a multi-sensory overload of beauty and glory. There is nothing there but goodness. Everywhere you walk, everywhere you go, everything you see is wonderful, is beautiful. The other image we're given to understand where we'll be living is that of a desert becoming a garden. So a city comes down and new life springs up. 
from a desert to a garden. Isaiah 51 verse 3 is one of several places where God speaks in this way. It says, For the Lord comforts Zion. He comforts all her waste places and makes her wilderness like Eden, her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her, thanksgiving and the voice of song. This is, this is, the, this is what it's going to be like. This is the scale of the transformation. God's saying right now it feels desert-like, it feels dry, it feels parched. Life is a struggle. God says one day the desert will become a garden. There isn't a whole load of detailed focus on the geography and geology of the new creation, but there is enough to get our imaginations going, I think. There's enough to stir us up. Genesis 1, original plan. God makes everything and makes it very good. Very good. Sin may have ruined it, but that is a temporary aberration. That is not what's happened. Oh dear, matter and all of the creation. Sin got in. Oh, that's the end of that then. We're off to clouds. No. God will make it all very good again. Jesus describes this change in Matthew 19 as the regeneration. The newness that's coming is a making of, Jesus, I make all things new restored. Paul looks forward to it in Romans 8, 21. He says, creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So creation, as you see it right now, is in bondage. It's it's not as it should be. It's corrupted. It isn't right. We see glimpses of it being good, but it's not fully there. Paul says the day is going to come, and actually we will leave that change through Christ. The day is going to come when creation is suddenly like, oh, thank goodness I'm released. Now, I don't know exactly what that means, but it sounds good. It sounds better to me. I don't know what's going to happen to Arthur's Sea or the Grand Canyon or the Victoria Falls. I think they're still going to be there. I just think they're going to be even better. We've only ever seen sin-stained, death-decaying creation. And even that is enough to blow our minds and take our breath away. And God says through his word, just you wait. You wait till it is released from the bondage of corruption that it's currently under. I may be wrong, but this is why I don't have a bucket list of places I want to go before I die. There's, there's a whole section in like Waterstones, the books to do before you die, the wines you've got to taste, the places you've got to go, the things you've got to do. And it's, it's urgent because this life is all there is. I've got more time than that. I do. I really don't need to check these things off. I'd really like to go to New Zealand. I'd really like to go to California. If I don't get to do that before I die, it's fine. Exactly. (laughs) I've got eternity to explore this place. And some urgent business that won't wait till then. There are some things that only can be done now. There are others that have got eternity to be enjoyed. I know it's going to be a sunny day today. I know it'll probably be a really lovely evening. And I know we don't get many of them in Edinburgh. But we're having a prayer meeting here. (laughs) And 
prayer is something that can only be done now and is urgent. And there are honestly warmer, beautiful, more beautiful days to come. So I want to encourage you to come and pray with us this evening. <laughs> this is the test. Do you believe me or not? <laughs> so when we think about where we are going to be, I think it's important, the reality of where are you going to be? You are going to be in a city and a garden. The image of the city speaks of a massive and united population. It speaks of security. It speaks of human flourishing. That's what civilization is meant to be about, and the city pictures that. And then there's the garden, which takes us back to Eden, the restoration of God's original intention for us, and the promise of abundant fruitfulness in every way. God's word says there are uh, trees that bear fruit in every month of the year. There is always good food there. So, rejoice. The desert will become a garden. Whatever you lose or don't have now or lack, the regenerated world is your inheritance in Christ. Enjoy glimpses of these things that we can experience now and use them as a springboard into celebrating what is to come. So that's where we'll be. What will we be like? Well, the Bible says that we will be in new, physical, perfect, and sinless bodies. Again, we tend to think it's a floaty, spirity thing, but Jesus was resurrected as a physical body. And he is the, he's the blueprint, he's the sign, he's the first fruits, the Bible says, of what we are going to be like. So you are going to have a physical body, but in a whole new way. 2 Corinthians 5, Paul likens this to moving from a fragile and leaking tent to a mansion with all mod cons. Or in 1 Corinthians 15, he says it's like the difference between the seed and the plant it could grow into. You ever seen a sunflower seed? It's like the size of half of my small nail. It's dull green. You ever seen a sunflower? Meters high, gloriously yellow. That is the scale of the transformation Paul is saying is coming to us. We, I mean, we will be glorified, Paul says. Romans 8.30. You, if you're a Christian, if you believe in Jesus, you will be glorified on that day. 1 John 3 verse 2 says, we will see him, Jesus, and we will be like him. C.S. Lewis was one of the few Christian writers to think seriously about what we would be like physically. And in the conclusion of his Narnia books, in the last battle, he offers a few suggestions. The characters, they, they run without getting hot or tired or out of breath. And so they just keep on running, because why would you ever stop? They can even run over water. Their eyes seem to have telescopic powers. Not in terms of, I think, kind of actually stretching out, but they can just see things. That are... <laughs> he doesn't go into detail on that point, but that's my... We will be glorified. I'm not sure we'll be able to fly because we can't fly now. But I think our climbing and leaping and swinging and jumping and all sorts of things like that will be much, much, much better than they currently are. We will be transformed. When I was writing this, the low battery sign came up on my computer. and All of us know what that feels like, don't we? 
One day, you'll never feel that again. <laughs> I think we'll rest, because rest is a godly thing, but it won't be because we're shattered. We, talk, we use phrases like that, oh, we're absolutely shattered. It means we're broken and we need to somehow come together. That is done with. All the physical infirmities that we've experienced in this life will be ended. Death and pain are done. Allergies will have gone. Period pain will be no more. Eyesight will be perfect. Cancer will have been banished. There will be no fear of getting frail with old age. All of it gone. And all those weaknesses in us that sin brings, the sin that we're so ashamed of, the temptations that we struggle with again and again and again, the things that we uh, just have to deal with on a daily basis, we think, what is wrong with me? Not just in us, but around us, everywhere around us, the injustice, the corruption, the wickedness, all dealt with. And in us, all changed, all removed. You think about all that humans can do now and then remove the shackles of sin and death. Work will be fully restored to its rightful place of dignity and purpose. We will grow and build. We will imagine and create. We will collaborate and support. We will invent and discover. I think we'll always be growing because only God is unchanging. We will have the dominion that God always intended for us to have. That's what he says in Genesis 1. He says, have dominion over the creation. I've given it to you to make the most of it. In eternity to come, that will happen. Jerem Bars in his book Echoes of Eden says, we exercise dominion now by making things with our hands, minds, and imaginations. This task will be ours forever, for on the renewed earth, all the creative glory of all the nations will be brought into the kingdom of God to honor Christ. Year by year, we will go up from every part of this earth and bring what we have made to offer at the feet of Christ the King. Some people worry that we won't really be ourselves anymore. Our appearance, our personality, our relationships, our memories, all of those things, when we hear about them being changed, we think that means loss. But God made us individually. He saves us individually. And so I'm certain that we're going to know ourselves and know each other. We'll be a brilliantly diverse community. People from every tribe and tongue and nation will be gathered together by Christ, in Christ, the multicolored unity that God has always intended and which the church is meant to give glimpses of now will be seen in full spectacular effect. All the difficulties that we have with other people will be reconciled and removed. And we will love others as we are loved by God. Perfect love will have had its way. There are so many people I want to speak to. I'm just excited to speak to the Apostle Paul. I'm ex- Excited to speak to John Knox. I'm excited to speak uh, to heroes of the faith. I'm excited to speak to people whose work and even sacrifices enabled me to hear the gospel. I know some of them, I don't know all of them. I think I'll understand it then. Hey, you did this, and because you did that, I got to hear about Jesus. Thank you so much. And even sometimes that happened the other way around. Won't you want to have lots of stories to share with people 
So rejoice. Rejoice when you're sick or when you're lonely. It will not last. Rejoice when you're stupid or slovenly and sinful. You will be changed. I'm trying to pray in some mornings that I just can't even make sentences make sense. I'm like, God, this is awful. Like, what is going on? And one of the things I do at that point is like my, it's the life raft almost of my prayers. Like, it's not always going to be like this. I'm so grateful it's not always going to be like this. And so even in those moments, we can rejoice. Marriage, by the way, will have served its purposes of showing us God's love and creating new life. But that doesn't mean that married couples will be split up from each other. Again, this is one of those weird things where people are like, oh, no, God's going to split us up. Like, oh, yeah, his plans are always for the worst, aren't they? (laughs) That's what he's like. Isn't it weird that we think this about him? We just struggle to trust him for some reason. We should trust him. I think those who have been married in this life will have the joy of their friendship and love taken to a whole new level. Your partner will be better looking, (laughs) if that's possible, more loving. And they won't have any of their annoying habits anymore. And you will be transformed to not even notice them. If you're single and you long for a wedding day and for someone to love you as closely as a spouse can, well, just you wait. Because here's the best bit. The new creation will be wonderful. Our new bodies will be amazing. There will be so much to do and enjoy and experience. But like the flowers and the decorations, the music and the speeches and the dancing at a wedding, they won't be what it's all about. A wedding is all about the bridegroom and the bride. And that's exactly how Jesus describes him and his church being united at the dawn of the new age to come. God will be at the center of it all. He will be the focus and the joy of a wedding will be what we all experience together, ushering in a perfect marriage that will never end. To mix up the metaphors, because the Bible does, in this marriage scene, we're also in the city. And the city, you remember I described it? It was this wide, it was this long, and it was this high. You're like, high? Why would it be high as well? Why doesn't it just go out across the world? It goes that way, that way, and that way, because it's a cube. Why a cube? Because when you read in the Old Testament where God dwelt with his people, the room in the temple, the Holy of Holies, was a cube. That's where God is. And so when you see a city that's a cube, that is the size of the whole world, what you're being told is, he will be fully there everywhere. He's going to be there with us like we haven't experienced yet. We have moments Glimpses of him, tastes of him, experiences with him. We hear his voice. We encounter by the power of the Holy Spirit, his love, his affection, his challenge. And it's a moment. And if it lasts like a minute, we're thrilled. Then it will never end. The poet John Donne said, No man ever saw God and lived. And yet I shall not live till I see God. And when I have seen him... I shall never die. 
Joni Erickson Tada, who's a Christian who has been wheelchair bound for 50 years. She knows what she'll be doing. She says, the first thing I plan to do on resurrected legs is to drop on grateful, glorified knees. We will really see him. We will really talk with him. We will really know him. And we'll know his love. And we'll truly be his. The greatest moment of your life. The best place you've ever been to. The most fun you've ever had. The most joy you've ever shared. Everything will have been just a glimpse of what it is to come when we meet God face to face. Psalm 16 says, In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You know how we talk about people lighting up a room when they come into it? God's kind of going to do that. Again, literally, the sun and moon are going to be out of work because the light of the presence of God is going to illuminate everything. Because God is infinite, we will never run out of things to enjoy and explore and discover about him. We will worship him forever and it will be a thrilling joy. Sometimes people think, oh, I'll be like one of those worship things that just seems to go on and on and on forever. You'll be different. (laughs) The band will be different. And the measure to which you see and apprehend God will be infinitely different. There's a lot to do. I'm glad we've got eternity to do it. It's going to take that. Sam Storms has helped me think about this. He says, The happiness of heaven is not like the steady, placid state of a mountain lake where barely a ripple disturbs the tranquility of its water. That's what we think of when we think of heaven. It's like, it's calm. It's done. It's finished almost. No, he says, heaven is more akin to the surging, swelling waves of the Mississippi at flood stage. With each passing day, there is an increase in the level of water. I think that's what it's going to be like, a raging torrent that builds and builds and grows and grows and never ends. The preacher D.L. Moody said... Someday you will read in the papers that D.L. Moody is dead. Don't you believe a word of it. At that moment, I shall be more alive than I am now. This is what it is to encounter God. This is what it is to see him. And you will not have snuck in. You will not find a place near the back where no one will notice you. You will have been brought in, invited and ushered in personally by the king whose blood paid your entrance fee. He died so that you could have this life. Ephesians 2 says, God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that, prepare yourself, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. 
That's his plan. That's his intention. To spend eternity showing the immeasurable riches of his kindness to you. That's what he's going to do. And we'll praise him back. And thank him back and love him back, back and weep with joy. And say to one another, it, it happened. He did it. We got here. So rejoice. When he seems distant, rejoice that one day you'll see him face to face and feel his loving embrace. Rejoice when you suffer for your faith. Remind yourself that the troubles will come to an end, but his rewards for our faithfulness never will. And in the meantime, let your imagination go wild in anticipation of the full revelation of God and his glory. Paul says we walk by faith, not by sight. He's right. Let's rejoice by faith, not necessarily by sight. This isn't escapism. You're ignoring reality, pretending something. No, no. I'm seeing reality with faith. I'm ignoring this thing right now, which is a shadow of the substance of what is to come. 1 Thessalonians 4, 17 to 18. And so, Paul concludes, we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. And so that's, that's what I've done. I hope it's stirred some joy in you. I'd like us to praise God because it's fitting and right. And if you could come up. So do so. Let me read some words again from C.S. Lewis from The Last Battle. Aslan, who is the representative of Jesus in those stories, says this. He says, Your father and mother and all of you are, as you used to call it in the Shadowlands, dead. The term is over. The holidays have begun. The dream is ended. This is the morning. And as he spoke, he no longer looked to them like a lion. But the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of all the stories. And we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last, they were, be- they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. If you're able to stand, why don't you stand? And if you can't, rejoice that one day you will. Lord, we're turning our eyes and our minds to you now. We're seeing with faith these things that you've promised. We know that you're faithful, Jesus. You said you'd rise, be raised from the dead, and you were. And so we take every other promise you've made to the bank. 
Thank you for an eternity of joy to come. Thank you for an eternity with you and with each other and on a regenerated creation. Thank you, it's going to be so good. Thank you, it's given to us because of your love, by your Son's blood. And your Spirit now, right now, is affirming it to us. Here are some words from Spurgeon and then we'll sing. In our Christian pilgrimage, it is well, for the most part, to be looking forward. Forward lies the crown, and onward is the goal. Looking into the future, we see sin cast out, the body of sin and death destroyed, the soul made perfect and fit to be a partaker of the inheritance of the saints in light. Looking further yet, the believer's enlightened eye can see death's river past, the gloomy stream forded, and the hills of light attained on which stands the celestial city. He or she sees themselves enter within the pearly gates, hailed as more than conqueror, crowned by the hand of Christ, embraced in the arms of Jesus, glorified with him, and made to sit together with him on his throne, even as he has overcome and has sat down with the Father on his throne. The thought of this future may well relieve the darkness of the past and the gloom of the present. So let's rejoice.